Thank you, Caleb, and all the members of the worship team for leading us in that beautiful time. Hallelujah. Simply means praise the Lord. That's all it means. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah is one word along with amen that binds the world together. Every nation I've ever been in, they know the word hallelujah. And they know the word amen. And so it's so wonderful to think about that being the word that unites every believer I've ever run into. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 13, verses 28 to 37 is where we're going to be today. Today is my first time standing before you since my letter went out and Grace Wire went out. And if you don't receive letter or Grace Wire, probably the word has gone out that as of August 31st, I have resigned my position here at Grace. We came to Biola back in 1998 where I teach Old Testament. And then we came on staff here at this church in 2001. That's been a lot to carry all these years. And so decided it was time for me to step back, focus on what I do at Biola. We've seen a lot of changes here. Think about the sweaty days we had over there in the East Sanctuary and just trying to pump out enough cold air to keep all those hot bodies in there. Talk about singing some hallelujahs in that hot. We were doing it. And then God blessed us and we've seen this. We've launched... You know, our Fullerton congregation, we've got our Spanish-speaking congregation, La Gracia. It's been joy to watch all of this um, take place throughout the years. And just really thankful for the fact that the Lord helped me be a part of it. If you want to pray for me and Joni in the days ahead, we'll still be here. You know, some people thought we're moving back to Alabama. Now, that would be a good idea, but that, that hasn't happened yet, Roll Tide. But one day, maybe, but right now, we're just trying to just set before the Lord. I've always had this desire for university, church. I've never known what to do. So for all these years, I've been doing both. And we're just going to step back and say, Lord, this is yours. We're going to focus on one thing. Now, please make your will clear to us what you would have us to do. And so our hands are like this right now. And if you would partner us with us in prayer about that. Some of you know about a mission organization last year that um, was really, God was just tempting me to go in that direction. It just turned out not being the best fit. And so we've just been thinking, Lord, what, what would you have us to do in the days ahead? We would appreciate your prayers but you've been so good to us through the years. My wife, Joni, is right down here. Not, not everybody always knows who my wife is. She's right down here. and She's, a, she's what's behind me um, that keeps me going. And so I'm so thankful for her. But you guys have been great to be a part of. Um, when we were building this building, we wrote messages on the walls. And right underneath here, we wrote 2 Timothy 4.1, preach the word. Um, be ready in season and out of season. And I just think every time I stand up here in front of you, that's what I want to do. I just want to be faithful in doing that and just teaching God's people. And you've helped me grow as a preacher of God's word. You've been patient with that. I know we probably a lot of your dinner tables on Sunday afternoon have roast the preacher and what did he say? You know, the good side of that is at least you're talking about the sermon. I mean, that's good stuff. And Um, So, I mean, you've been just patient with me as a preacher and as a pastor, just many situations I was involved, been involved in over the years and decision making. Certainly don't think every decision I made was good or the way I handled it was good. And you've just been patient with me and I'm just really thankful for that. Help me grow 
as a person. And so it's just been good and just wanted to let you know that. I'm just grateful. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to preach to you, you know, again from Mark chapter 13, 28 to 37. Don't know how many times I'll be preaching in the future. I'm going to redefine my role. Could be the last time. Could be less than someone wears a tie preaching at this church. I don't know. I'm the dinosaur of this group. And so take pictures. The tie is here, you know, maybe for that last time. But but we're going to be in God's Word today, and it's, it's really an important passage. I love to teach God's Word, and I love this passage that we're going to be in today. Let me read it, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to try to understand uh, what this might mean to us. We're picking up where Fred Sanders left off last week, just an incredible way of working through that passage, a lot of complicated stuff. And the reason we actually asked Fred to preach that passage is because he's so creative. He's so good at just seeing the big picture and inviting us in to understanding what it's all about. But I get to have the application of all that he was talking about last week. I was kidding him about that. I said, you have to do all the hard work. I just get to give the application um, to it. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. Beginning in chapter 13, verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer's near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake, therefore stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. Jesus said these words many years ago to certain disciples who were around him. The readers of the gospel of Mark received this gospel with eager anticipation to read all the works of Jesus, all the words of Jesus, and they read this. And Lord, you preserved it for us today to open up our Bibles for such a time as this with all that's going on in each of our lives. You've gathered us here together, here to listen to these words from Jesus that still echo. And Lord, we pray that these words would find their place in our hearts and that you would transform us, that you would help us to hear this message right in our individual context, right in our life as a church, that you would help us to hear these words. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work, that you would help apply these words to our lives uniquely for each one of us and what it means for us. Our, our eyes are on you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I go back to Alabama, I do a lot of fishing. And so you get to hear fishing stories. You can hear another one today. I didn't catch the really big one I wanted this summer, but I did catch a nice one. But we've got a title of our message is stay awake. Now, 
Any of you might like this view. Hope you can see it good. It's beautiful. Sun is coming up. It's early in the morning, and it was beautiful the way it was golden up against this shore. This is not my mom and dad's house. This is the Van Arsdale's house, and I love fishing here, and there's a reason. Because if you're a fisherman, you're going to focus on certain areas. This isn't just a beautiful view. Your eyes go, aha, whoa, look at that. And so your eyes might be drawn to this dock area right here because bass love to hide out in the shade, the shadows of the dock, waiting for unsuspecting bait to come by, swallowed up, that's dinner time. You also might look right over here. You can't see it really good, but there's a tree that's hanging down. It looks like this right here. And when a fisherman sees that, there are certain signs that say a fish lives here. And if you can navigate your bait into there just the right way, in between these branches, you'd be amazed at how well I can cast. I'm just telling you that right now. Just working my bait right down in the middle. And I catch that tree every now and then, but most of the time I can get it in there. I know where I want to put my bait. And that worm just drops down and then I wait. And just the right time, I want to start moving that worm because whatever's lurking down there, I want to catch that fish's attention. Now, so when a fisherman sees something like this, it's a sign. Okay, everything slows down for a minute. The boat wants to stop right there and everybody in the boat wants to get some bait into that area because that's a sign there's a fish that lives there. Now, if you knew that this fish lived there like this fish did and still does because I put him back, then you're even more alert you're even more focused because that's where Dave Talley caught the eight and a half pounder. Everybody's radar's up, the bait's going out because there's certain signs there and we actually know something about what's going on at this tree that's laying in the water just about. Now here's another beautiful spot. And as a boat goes through here, if you're just on a pleasure ride, you might think this is beautiful. This is the beauty of Alabama, by the way. It's just beautiful. Well, if a fisherman's coming through here, they're going to focus on certain signs. This is a fishing lesson here. And so you see right back up in there, there's a little cove. And oftentimes, fish will be the ones that make that little cove. There's no vegetation growing there. Why? Because mama fish is back there. And so you just want to be able to look for that. And then you see these weeds growing in front of this tree right here. The tree's right on the edge of the bank. The roots are probably going out. Got all these weeds here. A fish probably laying down in there. How do I get my bait in there? That becomes the big question. How do I lure that bass out of there? And then you've got these other growth over here, especially back in that pocket on the left side. I want to get back in behind those weeds because I got a feeling there's a fish back there. So... Those are signs that you can be looking at the entire bank and a fisherman's going to see signs and want to go to that. And then again, if you knew that this seven and a half pounder was sitting back there, then all of a sudden you're even more alert. These are signs that cause people to pay attention. You follow me on this? Okay, those of you who are not fishermen, you follow me on this? These are signs that cause someone to pay really close attention. So now how does this connect with Mark chapter 13? There's gotta be a connection, right? Jesus has been giving some signs here. And these signs are such that Jesus is saying to the disciples, when you see these things, you need to pay close attention to about what's ready to happen. You need to be alert. So just like a fisherman might be going along in a particular spot and see a sign and even know a bass is underneath there, all of a sudden that person gets focused in 
Because I, I've made a lot of casts where I wasn't paying attention. A fish hit it and I missed it. Because I was thinking about something else, watching a squirrel in the trees or a deer or whatever it might be. And I missed it. Put my pole down. I mean, it's just dumb. But when you hit these spots right here, everybody's tuned in. And Jesus says, when you see certain things, you need to tune in. And that's what our passage is calling us to do today, is to tune in just a little bit. Now, last week, Fred reminded us that prophecy gives us a picture of the future from afar. And so he reminded us that, you know, we're over here, the mountain peaks are over there, and it's not all so clear. But as you get closer, it gets clearer. And then all of a sudden, it's not really like the mountain looked way back there. Things begin to look a little bit different. Now, this summer, Andrew, my son Andrew and I we went to Kenya. I was there for a lengthy trip, and he came for a week so that we could go up Mount Kenya. And from a distance, you can see Mount Kenya. And then as you start moving closer, you, closer and closer, and you start moving up the mountain, things become clearer. And all of a sudden, there's this beautiful peak right in front of you. And I turn to the guy, is that the top? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. And so he tells me about that particular peak. He goes, it's behind that peak. And so there's that beautiful peak I've just been eyeing for a while, but we still have to go up the mountain even further until finally you can see all the three highest peaks on the mountain, Batian, Nelian, and Lanana. We were going to Lanana. That's where most people go because it's the easiest route to get to. The others require advanced climbing. Batian, Nelian, and Lanana are the names of three witch doctors, very powerful witch doctors. So we renamed those mountain peaks Father, Son, and Holy Spirit while we were up there. So we're no longer going to Lanana. We're going to the Holy Spirit is where we're going to go. One day I hope to get to the Father, but right now I'm at the Holy Spirit. And so, but when you get up there, all of a sudden it looks a little different. It is amazing how it might look different. Well, God has been moving forward his plans throughout all time. And in our passages last week, in the early part of chapter 13, Jesus was focusing on two aspects of the future. Now, he's trying to make it a little clearer for us. And so the first area that he focused on is that which is the most immediate uh, future. He's talking to the disciples. Something is going to happen. We're going to see later on that Jesus even says, in this generation. That's very immediate future. And so in verses 3 through 13, we've got the destruction of the temple, the fall of Jerusalem. But then in verses 14 through 23, we've got a whole lot more stuff that's going to be taking place. And that's the suffering that's associated with the fall of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is talking about that. He's trying to make the mountain peaks clear to us. But then there's also a more distant future. And this is very important for us to understand. I'm going to continue to go back to this framework because we need to understand these verses that follow. Verses 24 to 27 then focus on this more distant future and that's the second coming of Jesus. Now Jesus just rattles all of this off and then he says to the disciples, this generation's not gonna pass away until they see these things. You know, so did they see the coming of Jesus? No, we know that's still future to us. So how do we understand? Well, then Jesus is gonna shift his attention to, but concerning that day, and that's where he's going to start talking about this more climactic event that's still out there. I want us to understand the way Jesus works us through this passage. He's got the more immediate future. Those are going to be the signs in this more distant future. That's going to be this climactic event. Now, in some ways, we might think, wow, if all these things in verses 3 through 23 happened right there with that generation and Jesus' coming back is still future to us, that's a really big gap. But Fred reminded us last week that there's a lot of things that are found in these verses that we still experience today. 
In other words, what is going on in these chapters, I mean, this early part of the chapter, is simply Satan's attempts to overthrow the work of God and take down his people. That's what's going on. That's the destruction of the temple, the fall of Jerusalem. That's all that suffering that takes place. And so the reason we see some of these very same aspects repeated throughout history, even today and maybe even in your own life, is because Satan is still attempting to thwart God's plan and take down his people, those who choose to follow him and look to Jesus and Jesus alone. Everything that we've been singing about today, Satan wants to take down. So we still experience these kind of things in our lives. Now, what Jesus wants to do this week is bring it all to a conclusion. And he's gonna, we're just gonna divide his words up into two points. The first one is something that can be known. And then the second one is something that can't be known. And so we want to try to understand what Jesus is saying in these verses, because these verses have caused some confusion for people throughout the years. And I want us to properly understand it. So let's look, first of all, at something we can know. Now, in this first section, I think what Jesus is really after is to encourage the disciples. He's sitting there talking with them, and they are about to go through some devastating days. I mean, the temple was going to be destroyed. They were going to go through pain and difficulty in their lives. They're about to go through a lot. And the Lord wants to remind them, hey, none of this is catching me by surprise. None of this is catching the Father by surprise. We're advancing our purposes in this world. This is not about you. This is about what God is doing in this world. That's what Jesus wants the disciples to understand. And so I I think it's important for us to stop right there, even before we begin working our way through the passage and realize, well, that's true for us too. Because we are also living in this world. We are also a part of this story. We are also a part of God's advancing his purposes. And sometimes as a result of God advancing his purposes, we have to endure difficulty as well. We have hard times, and if we're not careful, we can lose sight of it and make it all about us instead of submitting our lives to the one who is moving forward his purposes in this world for his honor and for his glory. That's what Jesus wants the disciples to get. You're going to go through some hard times. I want you to know that. I mean, look what he says is even in verse 23. Be on guard. I've told you all these things beforehand. I want you to know the whole picture. It's going to be tough, but there's a day coming. It's going to be a day of rejoicing. Keep that in mind. And we're to be that kind of people as well. And Jesus is really going to try to drive that point home for us. Now, as we come into these verses this morning... Jesus is in some ways beginning, trying to pick up the the question that was asked back in verse four. Look at chapter 13, verse four. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew ask him privately. Verse four, tell us when will all these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? They're interested in these things. They're interested in a sign and Jesus is going to explain all of this for them. And how is Jesus going to do this? Well, the first thing he's going to do is give the parable of a fig tree. So verse 28, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. Here's the lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, this is a beautiful picture. 
And Jesus uses the fig tree because most of the trees in that area of the world are are evergreen. They don't lose their leaves. They don't point to the different seasons, but a fig tree does. And that's what Jesus wants to drive home the point concerning. And depending on where we're from, if you're born, bred, raised, spent all your life in Southern California, sometimes this picture doesn't connect with you. But when you're in other parts of the United States of America or the world, this means a lot. Now, I've got a picture of a budding tree here with snow in the background. And then there's just the beauty of new leaves coming out. When we lived in Chicago, the winters are dark, dreary, cold, and miserable. Now, there's a beauty to snow. Don't get me wrong. I love snow. But I had a counseling practice in Indianapolis and then also in the Chicago area. And I'm telling you what, during the winter months, my client load spiked. It's depressing. All that gray and cloud and cold and snow. And you can see the snow in the background with this bud coming out. And when you've gone through those dark, frigid, cold, depressing months, and all of a sudden on the trees in the bushes, right, Charlie? You start to see a little bit of a budding and something begins to come out. There is an anticipation that's there. If you haven't been in that kind of environment, that anticipation doesn't resonate with you and you need to let it resonate with you. There's a look. (laughs) <laughs> Look, that's almost gone. The, the gray, the cold, the frigid. It's about to leave. Look at that. That's the sign that something is about to happen. And it can actually begin to lift your emotions until the frost comes and destroys all the buds. That's another story. But, but still, that little bit begins to stir something inside of you. You can feel the anticipation. And so now notice what Jesus says. He says in verse 30, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he's near at the very gate. Now, what has Jesus done? Jesus has gone through all these things that they're going to see, all these things they're experiencing, destruction of the temple, the fall of Jerusalem, all the pain and suffering that goes along with it. And he says, when you see these things, you know that something good is about to happen. He's very near. He's at the gate. Now, how do we pull all of this together? Again, we need to understand what's going on in verses 3 through 23 are the signs leading up to. That's the these things that Jesus is talking about. When you see these things, verses 3 through 23, all of that lets you know that this one thing, that's the climactic event that is still to come. He is very near. He's at the door. Now we may look back and go, wow, it's been a long time that he's been very near and at the door. That's all right. That's not our concern because we're going to find out there's a lot that we don't know, like the day when all this is going to happen. And there's something that we're supposed to do in the midst of it, live with eager anticipation. But Jesus says, when you see all of these things, all these tragedies that take place, those are the signs he's very near, he's at the door. So the signs are when you see these things. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, Jesus is going to go on and he's going to refer to, but in those days after that tribulation, there is something else that's going to take place. And so there's going to be a follow-up and that's that climactic event. 
And so in this coming day, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, that's out there. So that's not what this generation is going to see before they die. That's still going to be out there. They're going to see all these signs that point to that event. You follow me on this? All these signs that point to that event that's going to be coming up. And so Jesus wants them to be encouraged in the midst of all of this. There's more that's going to happen. God is advancing his purposes. So let's go back to the mountaintop scene. When we think about the mountaintop getting clear, let's go all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Sin enters the world. The world is completely messed up. All you have is Adam and Eve, but it's completely messed up. You can think about having billions on the planet today and how messed up the world was. It's no more messed up than when Adam and Eve sinned back in the garden. It was completely messed up. There was no hope apart from God's intervention, God doing something. And so in Genesis 3.15, God says, the seed of the woman is gonna crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Oh, it's way out there. Yes, somewhere in time, this mess is gonna be cleared up by the seed of the woman. It's gonna crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And then we go through the Old Testament and we've got the Abrahamic covenant. Oh, wow, God comes down and enters into covenant relationship with sinful people. And then we've got the Mosaic covenant. We've got the Davidic covenant. Then we've got the promise of the new covenant. We even have passages like Jesus is quoting here in verses 24 to 27, Daniel 7, 15, the son of man coming. Okay, now the mountains are getting clearer. But when Jesus even comes on the scene, they think they get the mountains. And they say, Jesus, is now the time you're going to restore your kingdom? No, I'm not. Because it's not yet clear to you. Let me, let's get a little closer. What's going to happen is I've come so that I might die on the cross for your sins. And then I'm going to go back to heaven. And then I'm going to come back. See, it's all getting clearer to us as time goes by. And that's what's happening here as Jesus continues to talk to them. So in verse 29, he says, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near. There's going to be much tribulation, but God is still advancing his purposes. He's very near. He's very near. What we saw way back here in Genesis 3.15, when you see all these things taking place, he's very near. He's at the gate. And that's intended to encourage the disciples, verses 24 to 27 is a climactic event that is still out there. All these things are future to them, but verses three to 23 are past to us. Verses 24 to 27 are future to them and still future to us. And the Lord said, when you see these things, you know that he is near, he's at the door. And since Jesus is talking about that climactic, two separate events, the, the signs, and what they point to, the climactic event, that's why Jesus can make these two sayings. He's gonna give two sayings, one in verse 30, one in verse 31. One in verse 30 is concerning its timing. He says there, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Now, if you look at verses three to 27 together, that doesn't make sense. Because when, when Mark says this generation, Every time he uses it, he means the people who are there right now, those people will see these things. They're not going to pass away until they see these things. And commentators have tried to interpret this. Well, this is the generation of Christians or the whole heritage of followers of Christ. No, Mark says this generation because Mark is talking about the signs. There's a certainty 
There's a certain timing to it. That generation is gonna see it. But the second statement he wants to make is concerning its certainty. And that's what we have in verse 31. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus is saying, you can bank on it when I say it. You can bank on it. And so as the disciples heard these words, they just heard what Jesus said and they they know they can bank on that. When the readers of Mark's gospel read this, they know that everything Jesus says, you can bank on it. And that's true for us today. When Jesus speaks, you can bank on it. And Jesus has said that to his people and we can continue to apply that to our lives today. Not only can we know that they can bank on it, we actually know it happened. There's been so much prophecy that we have actually seen fulfilled that we have every reason to rest assured that God will continue his work in this world. It's so amazing to me just to read through passages in Isaiah. We don't have time to read them, but let me give you some passages in Isaiah. Isaiah 42, 9. Chapter 44, verses 7 and 8. Chapter 46, verses 5 through 13. Chapter 48, verses 3 through 8. My mind went to that part of Isaiah because that's where God constantly says to Israel, I have told you these things before they even took place that you might know that I am the Lord. I know the end from the beginning. Why are you crying out to your idol? Why are you looking your ways? I'm the one that gives truth. God is one to be trusted. So the things that are immediately going to happen are made clear to the disciples. Jesus wants them to know exactly what's gonna take place and the pain and the suffering that they're gonna experience. They can know this. That's something that can be known. They can be comforted with this truth. God is advancing his purposes. He's not done. But Jesus is gonna come back. There's still a climactic event out there and that's what Jesus is now going to turn his attention to in verses 32 to 37. So look at these verses. Verse 32 to 37. Notice immediately in verse 32. But concerning, see, Jesus has been talking about when these things take place and now he's shifting his topic. But concerning that day, he's now gonna focus on that climactic event. The signs are verses three through 23. When you see these things happen, you know he's very near. And so, but concerning that day, now he's gonna talk about verses 24 to 27. Now this is something that is future still to us. That's a new topic. And that word, that day, is loaded. Just about every semester at Biola, I teach a class on minor prophets. And when we go through minor prophets, you understand clearly that day in what it means. It's the day of the Lord. And it's just found throughout the prophets. You see the full, the day of the Lord, or that day, or in that day. I mean, it's just throughout the prophets. I bet a hundred times, I haven't counted, but it's just a lot. That's code for the day of the Lord. When you get to the New Testament, we also have references to that day. And it's really focused in because now we're closer to the mountains. You notice how this over here has become my mountains. We're closer to the mountains over here now. And it's clear to us that that day, this day of the Lord the Old Testament was talking about, is now gonna be the culmination of Jesus coming again. And so throughout the New Testament, we see references to that day. It's the day when the Lord comes back 
And the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord. It's the day we live for. And now Jesus wants to turn his attention to that day. There's something that can not be known. That's where we want to go. Something that cannot be known. Um, And Jesus makes his point in verse 32. But concerning that day, now we're even future to us, or that hour, no one knows. Let me be clear about this. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Look at the end of verse 33, because he wants to make clear they don't know it either. For you do not know when the time will come. That's something that cannot be known. And so this is in those days after the tribulation. This is in that day that is still to come. No one knows when that is. It's the ushering in of God's work in the fullness of time. It's amazing to me how many people throughout the history of the church have tried to anticipate when the Lord was coming back. I've got pages here. I mean, just pages of people who have made predictions about when Jesus is gonna come back. And I ask the question, why? Have they not read what Jesus said? He said, you don't, you do not know. You just don't know this stuff. But yet prediction after prediction after prediction, probably many of us remember the Herald camping even recently. I mean, flyers, I was in the gas station one day, flyers all over the gas station, the Lord is coming back. What? Now, what's interesting about this, there's still days ahead in the future, 2015, September 28th, mark your calendars. That's, that's a month away. Jesus is coming back. 2020, 2021, 2025, 2028, 2057, all with reasons. But Jesus makes it very clear, oh, you don't know the day. That's something that cannot be known. The application of what Jesus wants us to understand is what becomes really important in this passage. No one knows that time. So in verse 33, what does Jesus say? Be on your guard. Stay awake. For you do not know when the time will come. And then he's going to give an illustration. Now, what's interesting about this illustration is he's going to say, it's like a man who goes on a journey. Well, let's even follow our way through it, and then I'll show you what happens. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, Stay awake. Now notice how all of a sudden the disciples become a part of the illustration. You follow me on this? All of a sudden, Jesus isn't just giving an illustration. He's now talking right to them. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight when the cock crows or in the morning lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. See, Jesus all of a sudden makes them a part of the illustration. Why? Because the illustration's really, really important. This isn't just about staying awake. This isn't just about being alert. There's a reason to our being alert. And what is it? The master of the house has gone away. I hope that's very clear to you that that's Jesus who goes back to the heavens. And the master leaves his servants in charge. Remember Acts chapter 1? where Jesus is standing on the mount and they say, is now the time you're gonna restore your kingdom? He's died, buried, rose again. So they're still confused. It's not real clear to them. Jesus, is, is now the time you're gonna to get to that point right there, the peak? And Jesus says, no, I'm actually gonna go back to heaven. Now he's making it clear. I'm going back to heaven and I'm putting you guys in charge. You're gonna be my witnesses. 
We find it in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 22. Go you into all the world and be my witnesses. Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. I'm putting you guys in charge. I'm going back to the Father. But the servants are to do a work. And the point that Jesus is driving home here in the work that we're doing is, hey, don't fall asleep on the job. You got to stay awake. You got to stay alert in the midst of all of this. You got to continue on. The story is so simple, but the application has got to work its way into our hearts. It's not that the return is unexpected. Whoop, caught me by surprise. Didn't know you were coming back. No, the master is coming back. What's the point is you don't know when. And so you stay at work. You're to be about the master's business. Twice we see in these verses, you do not know. Three times we see, stay awake. And commentators have actually made a connection here with Jesus' earnest plea, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, to what's about to happen when Jesus takes the disciples into the garden and says, pray with me. And three times again, stay awake. Can't you stay awake? Can't you stay awake? And what is Jesus' reason there? He says, because you've got to stay in prayer. You've got to stay awake. You've got to stay alert. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's so easy for us to be led astray. It's for easy for us to get distracted in what God has called us to do in our lives. So Jesus says, stay awake. Look what happens in verse 37. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. That's our message today. This is what Jesus says to all of us. Now we have entered the story. Stay awake. Stay awake. At Biola for faculty, we're reading a book by Henry Nouwen called The Way of the Heart. And this has just been impacting me. And this is what Henry Nouwen says in his book. He's talking about busyness. There is seldom a period in which we do not know what to do. And we move through life in such a distracted way that we do not even take the time and rest to wonder if any of the things we think, say, or do are worth thinking, saying, or doing. We simply go along with the many musts and oughts that have been handed on to us, and we live with them as if they were authentic translations of the gospel of our Lord. I think what Henry Nouwen is trying to say is, stay awake, be alert. We can get so caught up in the treadmill of life and busyness that we're no longer being proactive, we're only being reactive. And as these words land in our lives today, this is the time where we have to consider like the disciples did, what is God's call in our life? Are we simply doing what we do simply because it is what we do? Or are we awake? And we know that we're the servants who've been given care of this world in the proclamation of his excellencies to everyone so that all may know. Or have we fallen asleep? I mean, think about the number of times we find this in the Bible. Think about Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Why? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In other words, we're getting closer to the mountain peak. It's about to happen. Jesus says, when these things are taking place, you know, he's very near, he's at the door. Paul's saying, we're closer than we were when we first believed. 
The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as is in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to satisfy its desires. You see, some of us have been lured to sleep by sin. We're just caught up in sin, in gratifying the flesh and even potentially lost in it. Just lost. And you're in the grips of the evil one and you're just spinning and you haven't even stopped to think about what you're doing. And Paul gives a warning here. We also need to realize that Satan opposes us. Listen, as we walk through life, it's just not a matter of what we do not do. We need to be aware of what's being done to us. In 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, so then, wrong way, go with the green button. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in your faith. If you have put your hands to the plow and you are following Jesus Christ, your adversary, the devil, is prowling and he's looking to take you down. And what Jesus says is, you be alert. You stay awake. We also need to realize that Satan's got an army. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, we can read these verses so many times, but we need to read them in this context. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Essentially what Paul is saying is, stay awake. Be on the alert. You know he's very near. He's at the door. The master's gone away. He's put you in charge. He's going to come back. Be ready for that. I love what Paul says at the end of his life, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Time of my departure has come. Notice what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, ultimately what Paul is saying is, I stayed alert. I stayed alert. I fought that fight. I finished that course, the race. I kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give award to me on the day. See the word, the day? It's all clearer now. Paul says, I'm looking forward to that day. I know what the mountain peak is now. Jesus is coming back. And I kept that faith. And not to me only, but also those who have loved his appearing. What does it mean to love his appearing? Because this connects with the story again, the illustration. It's not just about waiting for the master to come home because, oh my goodness, don't want to be sleeping. We'll be in bad shape. He's going to put the whammy on us, take us out back and hit us with the club. No, it's about a servant who longs for his master to come back. Loves his appearing. And when he comes back, he wants to be able to say to his master, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I didn't get caught in the treadmill of life. I lived intentionally. I went for it. See, this summer, I spent a lot of time out of a suitcase. A lot of time. Was in Kenya, 
And then I came home, you, you know, Joni's dad passed away, had one day here to buy plane tickets for the kids. And we all went to Alabama and I stayed there for weeks with Joni's mom, trying to help her get settled into the affairs. Suitcase, 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 suitcase. I just wanted to get home. You see, in our living, sometimes we get this reversed. We think we're home and we're pouring all of our energies in the home when in reality we need to be living out of a suitcase because our home is out there. I mean, imagine me and Andrew going up Mount Kenya. We're just living home life. I'm carrying the refrigerator, pulling my BMW with a rope. You know, I don't want to leave all my stuff behind. You know, this is life. No, it's not life. We're traveling light. Why? Because we're on a journey. And we know that home awaits us. And I think for this passage to land into our hearts, we've got to allow the Spirit of God to begin working in our heart and moving and asking ourselves, what is it that I'm doing where I've become so comfortable in this life? This has become my home. And I live for this. Instead of remembering, it's getting clear to me now. He's coming back. And I want to be faithful. I love his appearing. I can't wait till that happens. And I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be awake when he gets here. I'm going to be involved in things that matter to him. I'm going to be doing things that, that he would be doing because I love his appearing. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if that's sin that you've got to shed in your life because it's just consuming you. I don't know if it's the, the corporate ladder that you're going up and that's all that's on your mind or the, the enlarging of your bank account or your possessions or that person that you want to marry. I don't know what that might be for you. But the Lord's words for us today are stay awake. Let's pray. The Grace Group shepherds could come forward just in case someone wants to come for prayer afterwards. These are shepherds of our church they love the Lord Jesus. They love his appearing. And they would love to pray with you and talk with you. Caleb's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. Let the Lord work in your heart. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, help us. Lord, these are not just empty words. These are words that you intend to get a hold of our hearts. Jesus, you yourself said, let everyone hear these words, stay awake. And Lord, I pray that you would, in your mercy, speak to each heart here this morning and cause us to wake up. Lord, in your mercy, I pray that you would bring about repentance. I pray that you would bring about the kind of changes in our lives that need to take place because we belong to you. Lord, please do your work in our hearts.